Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Lord God, we submit ourselves afresh to the authority of your holy word, asking that your spirit would open our eyes to see and soften our hearts to hear. Show us Jesus, teach us the gospel. Make us your people for the sake of communicating the goodness and glory of your holy name. We pray. Amen. So we all experience in life some measure of injustice that forces us to reckon with our personal sinfulness and the character and nature of God. In fact, we learn to spot injustice pretty early. And we get into our bones early on this idea that we've been slighted. And this struggle begins much earlier and in much smaller ways than perhaps you might think. Let, let me tell you a little bit about what I mean. And parents, you can certainly identify with this. So you have this baby. <laughs> you will feed, clothe, diaper, clean, comfort, educate, fund, care for, and entirely support this little baby from its very first breath, sacrificing of self over and over and over to care for this little baby. And as soon as you say no to that once cute and obedient little baby, both you and that once cute and obedient little baby will experience in that moment some injustice. I know that sounds a little crazy, but think about this. For that once cute and obedient little baby, no makes no sense whatsoever. You've said yes to me 10,000 times in a row without me lifting a daggone finger, this baby's sort of functionally saying, and suddenly the world is supposedly fundamentally different and not 100% directed at giving me what I want when I want it. I mean, that's your fault. I reject your no. You've trained me to trust you, to provide for me, and now it's suddenly different? Meanwhile, the parent thinks, <laughs> you little self-centered, once cute and obedient little child, I've said yes to you 10,000 times, and suddenly you disobey me because you deserve to have everything handed to you? Our experience of the world as unjust starts small and it comes from believing. <laughs> not, not so much that we are sinful and that God is perfect, but rather that we 
are not sinful, that God is not perfect, and that we deserve what we want, whether it's care from our parents or obedience from our kids. And while I understand that this little parent-child analogy is a relatively minor example, it illustrates how we begin to believe the illusion that we are innocent, that we deserve what we desire, and that God and this world exist to serve our needs. Think about this. This kind of perverted view of the world and of self means that that we will twist circumstances in our lives into a quest for justice for self. This is especially problematic because when we twist everything into a personal justice quest, the glory of God inevitably takes a back seat in our lives. But friends, what we learn from Scripture to the contrary is that God alone is righteous and just. The world is actually about him, was created by him and for him, and we find our meaning and purpose by conforming our lives to this truth that we were created to highlight who he is because he deserves the glory, because he is just, he is righteous. So here's today's guiding thesis about this particular attribute of God's justice. Look at this with me. God's justice slash righteousness, same concept, God's justice slash righteousness means that God is in himself completely right, always acts in accordance with his righteousness, and is the final standard of justice. God's justice and righteousness mean that God is in himself, who he is in his being, completely right. He always acts in accordance with his righteousness, and he is himself the final standard of justice. Now notice here in this definition, this thesis here, that righteous, righteousness and justice are synonymous. They're synonyms. Righteousness equals justice. They communicate the same exact idea in the Bible. In fact, in the Bible, there's essentially one word group behind those two English terms. So for our purposes today, We'll be using those two words interchangeably, righteousness and justice, to communicate the same exact idea. And we'll unpack this thesis in two parts today. First, we'll look at a number of passages in the Bible that teach that God himself is righteousness. He always acts thusly and is its final standard. And then secondly, how Jesus is the perfect embodiment of God's righteousness and justice. And how that can be a model for us to stop feeling the need to eke out impossible justice for self so that we can redirect our efforts toward helping people find and follow Jesus so that that we can be a part of the world learning that God is righteous and just. So, first, the Bible teaches that God is in himself completely right. He always acts righteously, and he is the final standard of justice. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, at the end of his life, Moses, one of the early leaders of the people of God in the Old Testament, Moses was pleading with the Israelites to follow God's laws. And so he said this about the character and the nature of God. He said, the rock, this is being used as a title for God here, the rock, his word, his, I'm sorry, his work is 
perfect. His word is perfect too, but that's not what Moses said. Moses said, the rock, his work is perfect. Look at this, for all his ways are justice. Now the word used here for rock isn't like a small little rock or or a pebble, uh, but a huge, huge boulder or even a cliff or a rock-faced wall on a mountain. The idea is that that God is like a fixed and immovable boulder or, or a large mountain, dependable and firm, trustworthy for building upon because his work, what he does, is complete. It's perfect. Everything he does is right. All his ways are justice. So you can build your life on him. The verse goes on to say this, a God of faithfulness And without iniquity, a God who keeps his promises and who is perfect and sinless, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Notice the two concepts of justice and righteousness together here. Just and upright is he. The meaning of these two words is this idea of being in the right, being justified, straight, on the level with one's measure of of everything, really, of of people and of the world. And notice here that God doesn't doesn't just sinlessly do what is right and just. He is justice and righteousness. Just and upright is he. Our concepts of what is right and what is just don't just come from our human perceptions of the world around us, but from who God is. This is why it's so important for us to study the attributes, the character and nature of God, because we learn to see ourselves and the world rightly, correctly, justly, because we see who God is. His very character and his nature define the truth for all reality. It's like Moses says here in Deuteronomy 32, God's work is perfect, all his ways are justice, because he is righteous And just. In Isaiah 45, verse 19, God says it like this, speaking about himself. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. This also teaches that God is himself the standard of righteousness and justice. Later on in that same passage in verse 23, God says, by myself, I have sworn because, well, think about it. By who or what else do you swear or make a promise if you're God? On something or someone more dependable or more right than oneself, than himself? No, of course not. By myself I have sworn, he says, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return, that won't come back unfulfilled. And here's that word. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. To me, God says, all creation will one day bow in allegiance. So if God is the standard of truth and righteousness and justice, and he has all power, then every word from him does exactly what it is intended to do. God is completely right and correct and true and righteous. And what he says will come to pass. Psalm 19 verse 8 says it like this. The precepts, the principles and commands of the Lord, they are right. Rejoicing the heart. When you understand 
when you understand that what is true and right and just is true and right and just because it conforms to the character and the nature of God, it does the heart good. In Genesis 18, verse 25, Abram uh, Abraham at this point, Abraham was pleading for God to be merciful to the people of Sodom. Notice that he appeals to God's own righteous character. He says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham roots his appeal, his prayer, in God's very character and nature. Now, one natural question to ask in all this is, so what is right? What is righteous? How do we define what is right and what ought to happen? <laughs> well, the answer is easy. Whatever conforms to God's moral character, whatever conforms to his holiness and his perfection, all of his attributes, that is what defines what is right and what ought to happen. But why is anything that does conform to God's moral character considered right? Well, as we've already said, because God himself is the final standard, and there can be no other standard, no standard higher than God from which to measure that righteousness or justice. Now, parenthetically, though this is a circular argument, and it may not seem intellectually satisfying, frankly, any and all truth statements are at bottom circular arguments based on a claim to authority. So this is no different than any other truth claim. And in Scripture... Whenever someone confronts the issue of whether God is righteous or, or just, the ultimate answer is simply that he is because he is creator and we are creature, which means we are not in a position to make any claim of that kind of knowledge of who he is because we are creatures. He is creator. In other words, we are not in a position to call him unjust. This is hard to reckon with for us, but look with me at a few passages, starting with Romans 3, verses 20 through 21. In this passage, Paul is responding to this difficult question about God's righteousness and, and our perspective of that. And he says this, Romans 3, verse 20, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? That's Paul speaking. Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of some lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? In this context, honorable and dishonorable mean saved and unsaved. Paul is making clear that God alone, who is holy and perfect and righteous and just, he alone is the final standard and arbiter of justice, of how he works out his goodness and glory and holiness. In Job 38 through 40, really in a few chapters here, Job was questioning whether God has been righteous in dealing with him. If you remember, Job lost everything. And God answered this question of Job, out of the whirlwind, meaning with strong language. God said this to Job, starting in verse 38. I'm sorry, chapter 38, verses 2 and 3. Who is this 
that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man, he says. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And then God continues to question Job's questioning, not in terms of an explanation that would allow Job to understand why God's actions were right, which is a key thing to remember, but rather in terms of a statement of God's own majesty and power. According to the witness of Scripture, God does not need to explain the rightness of his actions to us. And he doesn't to Job here. Because God is creator and Job is creature. Listen to how God continues to question Job's questioning. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Huh, Job? Have you caused the dawn to know its place? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Do you give the horse his might? Is it by your wisdom, Job, that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? In other words, Job, you're just like the weather. You're just like the creation. You're just like the animals in my economy, God says to him. I made you. I alone am just and righteous and have the power and knowledge and holiness to work out that righteousness and justice. He says this in Job 40, verses 2 and 8. God's still speaking to Job. Shall a fault finder, speaking of Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty, with, with God, with me? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And then finally, after, after a few chapters, Job answers appropriately in ways here that are a model for us all of the kind of humility that must be a part of our approach of God. Job says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. When we realize, friends, that God is both righteous and all-powerful, we realize he can ensure perfect justice when we cannot even begin to understand enough to execute meaningful justice that accounts for all of the, the factors of the here and now in our own lives, let alone the lives of those around us. And while this is certainly no reason to refuse to act for justice in the lives of those around us, it might be a reason to rest in not needing to mete out one's own justice. Think about what hangs in the balance of this attribute of God. <laughs> if God were perfectly just, but without power to carry out that justice, he would not be worthy of worship, and we could not trust him to justly punish evil or to rightly account for us. And if God had unlimited power, but his character and his nature were not righteous, the result would be a universe filled with immeasurable and unspeakable suffering and injustice. 
But friends, God is perfectly just and righteous. And he has all power to do what no one or nothing else can. And he did that in Jesus. He alone can satisfy his demand that he receive the glory that his perfect character and nature are due. And he did that by sending Jesus. This is why Paul says in Romans 3, verses 25 and 26, he says that when God sent Christ as a sacrifice to bear the punishment for sin, it was for this reason, verse 25, to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, because of his godly patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that, look at this, so that he might be just, so that he would remain completely righteous and just, true to his own character, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins, it showed that God was truly righteous because in Jesus, God punished sin while at the same time forgiving his people of their sins. Friends, only a God who has ultimate power and who is completely righteous and good and perfectly pure and just is able to be both just and justifier. Only God can fix your sin and satisfy the demand of staying true to his perfect character as deserving all praise and glory. And he did so in Jesus on the cross where he served as justifier for you, for your sins, after you had lived as if you, desire, as if you deserved what you desired. And this wasn't just some theoretical write-off of your sin nor a theoretical justifying of God's demand to maintain his own glory. I want us to take a minute and think about these amazing truths with this takeaway question. stop your personal justice quest 
and rest in Jesus. Who was God's justice for you and for himself? Friends, here's what's so amazing about God being both just and justifier. Because of Jesus, we don't need to go through life as a suddenly surprised baby nor a shunned parent. We can be like Jesus, embodying the the righteousness and justice of God for others without having to selfishly seek it from others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would show us, that you would continue to reveal to us whether we call you Lord and Savior or we don't yet, the amazing truth of what you've done your son Jesus who satisfied your demand to punish sin to account for the truth that you're perfect and holy in your character and nature and that you can't abide by sin and so you satisfied that demand for justice and at the same time Lord justified us spirit.